Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Turn to Luke chapter 12, if you would, please. Great message for today. Jesus is coming soon. Amen? And I don't say that to be a cheerleader. I say that because I believe it. I believe Jesus is coming soon. Way sooner than what the disciples probably thought. And if you remember last time, we were given a central thought towards the end of our last passage that we covered last Sunday, and that is we have to have the right focus on the right kingdom. Amen? And that is the kingdom to come. That is not the kingdom of government. That's not the kingdom of this earth. That is the king's kingdom. That is an eternal kingdom. It's a heavenly kingdom. It is a kingdom not made with hands. It is eternal and in the heavens. And so Jesus now is going to speak regarding this as he transitions from store up your treasure in heaven to this incredible message about the coming king. Would you pray with me? Father, we lift up again our governor. We lift up our state representatives, our state senate. We lift up our congress, our senate, the White House, Lord, CDC. We lift up the people in our government that are making these decisions about whether we should be together with masks or without masks or in person or outside. Lord, it's difficult. It's hard. And so we just pray for them as your word declares we should do. And we ask that you grant them wisdom from heaven, that you give them perfect thoughts. Even if they don't know you, Lord, would you affect their minds? We believe you can do that. And so, Lord, we we pray for the business owners that are suffering. We pray for those without jobs this morning that are suffering. We pray for those that are suffering with COVID. We pray for those that are suffering because uh, they don't even think this is real. And so, God, we, we come to you with an eternal perspective, believing that you are still God, you are still mighty, and you can do all things. And so we, through you, can accomplish all things, including, including enduring as good soldiers. And so speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 35, and we'll take through verse 48. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. Your waist girded and your lamps burning. Now you're probably sitting here thinking, I haven't got a clue what that means. (laughs) What do you mean waist girded? It, It always helps to contextualize what the Bible says as to when these things were said. So during that day and time, if a man was working in the field, in order to be able to run quickly, to move swiftly, he would have to gird up his waist. He would take his tunic and he would pull it up between his legs and he would tuck it into the top of the tunic itself so that he he was free to move, free to not be stuck in a single place, hindered in any way, shape, or form. And his lamp's burning 
You see, during that day and time, most people, if they had a lamp, it was an oil lamp, usually an olive oil lamp. It was very tiny, and if you were not prepared and you didn't have oil, you couldn't keep it burning, and you couldn't get that oil at night. So what we see here is preparation. I have to be prepared for the king's coming. I have to be ready I have to be waiting. I have to be anticipating that the king is coming. Too much of the church has fallen asleep, frankly. We've started bickering over whether we're going to meet indoors or outdoors or whether we're going to resist or not resist instead of sticking to what the word says. We're not preparing to meet the king. We're preparing to battle one another. And we need to keep focused on what matters. And what matters is, how are you preparing yourself and your home to meet the king? Because he is coming. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. When you return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open unto him immediately. These first two verses present a picture that again helps us Uh, in a way, if we understand what's being referred to. Because the picture here, remember Jesus and the disciples were primarily Galileans. They would have understood a wedding in a Galilean context, and so a Galilean wedding is what's in view here. And so it is extremely important to understand that there was a marriage feast, there were three parts of that wedding service in a general sense, and, and this is the picture that they would be waiting, you see, because the master would come in an hour that they knew not. The father would come for the bride at an hour that they knew not. There is a picture here of the anticipation of this incredible wedding that would happen. And so what we've done in, in our modern sense is we've taken the importance out of this passage and tried to make it into something modern, and you can't do it. You have to go back to the Galilean wedding. You see, there's a reason that Jesus is coming again. Do you know what that reason is? To collect his bride. Amen? To get the church. That's what happened in a Galilean wedding. So the father and the groom were away. And they would be preparing the place. You remember what Jesus said? I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you might be also. So the Father is in heaven, Jesus is in heaven, and they are preparing a place for the bride, and they're going to come again and get the bride. You have to understand that, otherwise you miss the importance of this entire passage. This is not about a modern wedding. This is about a Galilean wedding. And when you understand that, then you start to see this from a very different perspective. Because what you did in a Galilean wedding is you had to be working and you had to be witnessing. There was a witness of the fact that the wedding would happen. Because the bride and the groom, though were not married yet, would exist in a state of in essence, matrimony without being married yet. 
And so they would bear witness. They were taken. And they would be working. They'd be preparing their home. But in that moment, in a twinkling of an eye, a time that the father only knew, the groom would go away and they would come back, could be in the middle of the night, and snatch away the bride. And then the wedding would come to its completion. That day is still coming for the church. Hasn't happened yet. The groom is in heaven. The father is in heaven. And they are preparing a place. And so this picture that you have here is first the contract. You see, you have to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The moment you do that, guess who you become? You become the bride. Now, I know some of you guys are going, well, I don't think I can do that. Well, get over it. You're the bride of Christ. You're not the groom. Jesus is the groom. And so you as the bride of Christ have made a contract. You have committed your life to Christ. He has forgiven your sin. He has written your name in the Lamb's book of life. And one day, you're going to go to heaven. But you don't know when that day is. Only the Father knows when that is, and he's going to send Jesus again at some point in time to take us away. In a Jewish wedding, these things were very clear. They were like the men who wait for their master to return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Underline that word. You, you, you can't be goofing around when Jesus comes from the church. If you're not saved, you're staying. If you don't know Jesus, you're not going. The immediacy here is based on your salvation experience prior to the groom coming back for the church. You don't get to go, oh, well, I want to go too. It's too late. You have to have made the contract or you will not have the consummation. You're going to have to stay through the tribulation. And so the second part, known as the hoopa, it was a four-posted uh, piece of cloth that was held by people, and they would hold it over the bride and groom, and wherever they went, that's where the wedding was. And wherever you go, that's where the wedding is, because in your heart, you're already married to Jesus. But he hasn't come and gotten you yet. He, he's still waiting for that moment when he's going to come fetch his bride and take us to our heavenly home. We call that the rapture of the church. And so this covenant, this contract, the ketubah as it was known, Mark explains it this way in Mark 13, verses 32 and 33, And no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor even the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard, be alert, for you do not know when he will come. Contract's been drafted. The hoopah has begun. You've been bought with the price. In a Galilean wedding, the father had to come up with the dowry. There was a price paid. You couldn't just go select any bride you wanted. There had to be a price paid, and the price had to be accepted by the father. That price was Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. 
That price was his shed blood for the remission of your sin. The price has been paid. The dowry has been laid down. It's enough. It is finished. And so for us, we're in that place of waiting. And it will not be until the church is raptured that we get to go to the celebration. You see, they did things very differently. Once the bride and the groom were together, and once the wedding was completed, when they were finally in their home, then a marriage supper would ensue. Strangely, oddly enough, your Bible says exactly the same thing. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who is the Lamb? It's Jesus. Who is the groom? It's Jesus. Who is the bride? It's the church. Universal. So when the bride and the groom get together because the groom has come back for the bride, the first place you're going is to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the third C. It's the celebration. But not everybody's going. Some have chosen to not choose to be married to Jesus. They've chosen to be married to this world. Their treasure is stored up here. It's not stored up in heaven. It's what can they get for themselves here today, right now. It is not the king and the kingdom. It's me and mine. You see, I have to be working for the right kingdom. I have to be witnessing about the right kingdom. My witness is of the king. My witness is not of politics. My witness is not of position. My witness is of the king. And I'm working to that end. What matters in this life is what we do for Christ. How we live our lives. Who is the subject of your affection? Who is it that you represent every day? Brothers and sisters, we have to do these things in order to see his kingdom come. Too much of the church is occupied with the same thing that the world's occupied with. We're trying to fix this world when the only fix for this world is the other world. His kingdom coming. There is not a single passage of Scripture that teaches that the church is ever going to reform this world. Do you know that? It's not there. It does not exist. We are supposed to have an effect on this world by preaching his kingdom to come. It's by living lives that point people to heaven. It is not by thinking we get to reform this world. I listened to some of these comments about the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Look, I can't stand some of the decisions she made as a jurist. But the Supreme Court is not the final court. Amen? There's a court in heaven. It's a much higher court. Just like our president is not the final authority on things on this earth. There is a king above him. And if you don't see that as a believer, you start to serve the wrong world. You start to live for this one and not for the next one. 
If you want to have right thinking, you get that right thinking by thinking about the right kingdom. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to answer to anyone save Jesus. Amen? Nobody's going to go, well, you know, look at your voting record. <laughs> wow. You know, what did you think on all these laws that got, yes, I want to vote biblical values, of course. I, I want to support the rule of law, of course. I want to see injustice dealt with swiftly, of course. But the way that happens is by what Jesus is saying here. Focus on the right world, his kingdom. So I have to be then watching for the Lord. Not just working, and I have to be literally looking. Notice verse 37. Blessed are those servants. Now, servants of this particular king can only be those who are saved. Because that's what's in view here. It's the eternal kingdom. There's only one kind of servant in that kingdom, and that's the king's servants, bought and paid for by the blood of the Lamb, whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. For assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down and eat and will come and serve them. If he should come in the second watch or in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. You, you get the picture? You see, the world has gone through all kinds of cycles of different readiness, different conditions, different tribulations and trials. That's why it's so important to understand the last days in an accurate way. Anybody that thinks that what we're going through right now is the tribulation spoken of in the Bible hasn't read the Bible. It just simply isn't anywhere near as bad as it's going to get. It's going to get a whole lot worse. So I don't want to be here when that happens, nor do I want anyone else to be here when that happens. So I'm watching for the king to come and get us. Because that is exactly what the Bible says will happen. But know this, if the master of that house had had known the hour that a thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. And therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You, you see, this is the watchfulness of the church. But the church has lost its way in a lot of, in a lot of things that we think. We're watching for solutions through political means. We, ha we have a political system that's as good as there is on this earth. But it can't solve the problems that we face because these problems are problems with mankind, not just the United States of America. They're, they're not political problems. They're human problems. And so the church is to be watching for the Son, the Son of Man. I'm to be focused on heavenly things. And so the Lord is talking about this preparedness we have to have for the future coming of the Lord. And there are two of them. And I love the fact that there are two because it solves a lot of biblical problems with our eschatology, our last days thinking and understanding. You see, the first coming, he's coming for the church. Amen? 
He's coming for the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. Where is the Lord right now? He's in heaven. So if the apostles are writing this, if Paul writes this, and Jesus has already gone to heaven, this must be a future event. Amen? It cannot be something that's already happened. Because the Lord is going to come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we, us, who are alive and are left, will be caught up together. Latin word harpazo there for caught up. Snatched away by force, together with them. Notice where it happens. Not on the earth. This isn't the second coming when Jesus comes back to Jerusalem. This is the church being snatched away by force into the clouds, the heavens, to meet the Lord in the air. In other words, it's a heavenly meeting. Jesus is coming for the church. He's going to snatch the church away. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I'm encouraging you with these words. Jesus is coming for the church. He's coming. None of this stuff that's going on in our world has snuck by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He knows exactly what he's going to do. He knows exactly when he's going to do it. And now, brothers, about the time and the dates, we do not need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord shall come. What's the reference Jesus makes? As a thief. Jesus said if he knew when the thief was coming, he would have been prepared. Amen? Paul says, as a thief in the night, completely unaware will most of the world be. But we who know the Lord should not be caught unaware. We should have our loins girded. We should have our lamps full, that oil of the Spirit working in our lives, shining in this world as we're supposed to be. We are that light now. As Jesus left, he said to the disciples, you are the light of the world. You're the ones that are showing people the way and the truth and the life. We are to be prepared. You see, that's the first Coming, the harpazo, the rapture. It's going to be invisible to the world, but very visible to us as the church. And we'll be removed. But that's not the end of God's dealing with mankind. People will be left. Two will be in the field. One taken, one left standing. And those people are going to have the knowledge necessary to be saved. But it's going to be very costly for them to give their life to Christ. Most of them will be martyred if they do that. The tribulation will come, and this time that ultimately culminates with what we understand as the battle of Armageddon. You see, there is a second coming. The first one is for the church. The second one is with the church, and we come back with him. To put an end, finally, to to the plans that Satan has very craftily purpose to destroy this world and all who are on it 
But that day is coming to an end. But it's going to be a difficult time. We're coming back with him during that time. And again, Revelation chapter 19, Matthew chapter 24, pictures this glorious return when every eye will see him. The Apostle Paul so understood this, he said that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And by the way, when he said every, he meant every. The original language is clear. In other words, even if you're an unbeliever, you're going to say, Jesus is Lord. By then, it may be too late. That's why you want to come to know Christ today. You see that coming with the church is going to be visible. Can you imagine the armies of heaven? You know, when I, when I see some of the displays of our military might as a nation, you, you can't help but go, wow. You see a carrier battle group taking out across the ocean. You're going, man, I, I pity the fool that's in front of that. But there's an army that's a whole lot greater than the armed forces of this country. Amen? It's the armies of heaven. And they'll be arrayed in the splendors of heaven, empowered with the power of heaven. And finally, the devil is going to get kicked in the teeth. Amen? We're waiting for that day. I believe he's coming. I don't believe in a political solution to what ails this earth. I believe in a heavenly solution to what ails this earth. Because the earth isn't just comprised of the United States of America. We are a tiny, tiny, tiny sliver of humanity. We're 330 million people out of some 8 billion people. God isn't just concerned with here. He's concerned with Afghans. He's concerned with people in Zambia. He's concerned with people in Bolivia. Indonesia. We've got to stop thinking worldly. There's a global solution. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's Jesus is coming again. And so let's not get distracted. Let's preach the gospel. Let's teach the word. What are the conditions when Jesus comes again? Notice what it says. Had they known that the thief was going to come, they would have watched. They wouldn't have suffered having their house broken into. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't be fooled. Keep an eye on heaven. Be working towards heavenly things. The householder is, if you, look, I don't know how many of you have a burglar alarm in your house. You know, you went out and you got Nast or Arlo or you installed something simply safe or whatever. 
I'm assuming you do that so you can keep from being broken into. Amen? That's why it doesn't do a bit of good for you to have that cell phone app while I'm going to turn off the notifications. So I don't want to know if they get in there. It's like, why would you have that relationship with that alarm company in the first place? The same is true for heaven. You're supposed to know when the thief is going to come so you can be prepared. Now, you don't know the moment, but you know he's coming. So you put your alarm on. You go, Jesus, help me understand the days and the hours, the time that I live in so that I'm ready. You're not, you're not going to leave your door open and take off for a month and put up a sign that says, come steal everything I have. So don't do that eternally. Be watchful. Be diligent. For the enemy comes as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Don't let that be your house. Be ready. Jesus is coming again. Watch for him. Look for him. Prepare for him. Represent him. It's staggering how many things we, you know, we got to represent. Represent King Jesus. Do that really well. Because that can save someone's soul. No matter who wins the NBA Finals, no matter who wins the World Series, no matter who wins the Super Bowl, none of those things will ultimately matter when the King comes. You better be on his team. And there's only one way to do that. That's to confess Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Because when he comes again, he's coming without warning. There is, there's not going to be two and a half years of ministry. Jesus isn't going to kind of sneak in the back door and wander around the earth again and do all kinds of miracles. He is coming again. Amen? It's going to be instantaneous. He's not going to go, well, can you guys get ready now? I'm going to be back in like three weeks. We have to prepare. That's why the focus is on that preparation. Right now, the world's asleep. People are saying, oh, man, you guys have been talking about the return of the Lord for 2,000 years. Yes, we have. The only difference is we're nearer today than we were 2,000 years ago. A whole lot nearer. The prophetic word of God has been largely fulfilled with regard to the things that need to happen before the king comes. Those things were not true when the disciples were alive on this earth. At unknown time, you better believe it, and you better be ready. You see, you're going to be held accountable with what you know. You know. You're going to be held accountable with that knowledge. Use it well. Use it wisely. And in that sense, we have to be this final thing working for the Lord. Verse 41. 
You have to see this in order to understand it. And then Peter, you, you got to love Peter again. Lord, do you speak this parable to us only or to all people? Duh. You know, it's like Peter's like, oh, we got some special knowledge here. And so the Lord said, gives him another, you got to love the way Jesus deals with Peter. It's like, okay, here it comes. So then is that faithful servant and wise steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household and give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Notice it isn't preparation time when he comes. It's you better be ready when he comes. You can't change teams when the king comes. You don't get to go, well, you know, I was just kind of waiting around to see if it actually happens, and now I'm going to be a Christian. There are people who like that. Well, you know, if I really, you know, get down to it and I'm getting close to the end, you know, maybe I'll, like, when I'm too old to sin really well. It's too late. Truly I say to you, that that person he will make ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, so if you're here today and you have not professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to listen. My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and the female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. The master of that servant, which by the way is the same as the first servant, will come in a day when he's not looking for him and an hour when he's not aware and will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the unbelievers. In other words, it's over. No further chances for the grace of God. It's done. Fate sealed. Eternal damnation will be yours. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself, now here's a servant who knows but does nothing with it. According to his will, he shall be beaten with many stripes. Now why do you suppose the Lord Jesus gives these three different types of servants? One master, three different responses. Number one, there are people who are faithful. And I pray that every person sitting here and watching online is in that category. Faithful servants ready to receive what the Lord has for you. Ready to receive your inheritance. There are faithful believers. The church that believes the word of God is true and acts on it. That takes God's promises and believes them. That preaches the gospel without reservation and teaches the word as truth. That's that group of servants. But there's also some fake servants. There's, there's date setters. There are people who, yeah, we just don't really believe that stuff. You know, we want to have the good things. We want to go to heaven, but we want to keep living our debauched life. I don't want to give up my sin. I want to keep doing what I'm doing, but I want heaven too. That's a false servant. That's a false servant. That's somebody who's not saved. 
Let me be clear. You can't keep your sin and have Jesus too. So if you're one of those people that think here at Calvary Chapel, we believe in antinomianism, but there's no law and you just live how you want. Let me square away your theology right now. You can't keep your sin and have Jesus too. You have to repent of your sin. You have to flee wickedness. You have to turn from idolatry. You have to give up the old way and take up the new way. Am I being clear? Amen? Because people who think they get to keep on sinning, the Apostle Paul said, certainly not. If you have had a transformation of heart, it will lead to a transformation of mind, and a transformation of mind will lead to a transformation of action. That's the steps. And so Jesus says, you better be careful when the master returns because he knows fake believers. Kind of a strong warning, isn't it? There's a second type. There's the forgetful servant, that servant which knew the Lord's will and prepared not himself and did not do according to his will. That one's going to be beaten with many stripes. In other words, you're going to stand at the judgment seat of the Lord and you're going to go, oh my goodness. James had tried as if by fire. The apostle Paul said you're going to sneak into the kingdom. No crowns, no reward. You may be saved, but it's going to be painful. You don't want to be that servant. There's a third type. I think a lot of us at times are the feeble servant. You see, I don't want to be a false servant. I don't want to be a forgetful servant. I might be a feeble servant, but I hope I'm just a super servant. But he that knew not and did commit things where he should be beaten. You, you see, to whom much is given. Much will be required. To whom men have been committed much, of him they will ask more. Verse 48 says, you see, there's a picture of how to do it right. It's like, if the Lord's given you much... He who did not know and yet committed things deserving of stripes will be beaten few. In other words, you, you, you had knowledge, but you didn't know that one thing. That's just weakness. The Lord understands our weaknesses. But he won't tolerate our rebellion. He, he gets our weaknesses. But he isn't going to let you thumb your nose. You don't get to do that as a child of God. You don't get to say, I know. Church, I, I want to I say this. I want to end on a positive note. I don't want anybody leaving and going, oh man, I'm doomed. But I want to tell you the Bible is so clear. It is so clear that you can't be a false servant. You, you should not be a forgetful servant. You don't want to be a feeble servant. You want to be a faithful servant of the Most High God. Amen? Here's the great news. You could start fresh right now. 
You can say, look, I've been feeble. I've been forgetful. I've been false. But I'm tired of that. I don't want to be like that, Lord. Maybe you weren't even saved. But you can change that right now. But you have to want that right now. You have to believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is. And you have to rest and trust. And once you do that, you need to live your life for the king and for his kingdom. Otherwise, you fall into one of these other categories. You might be feeble. You might be forgetful. Would you stand with me? And I want to pray with you. And if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Jeff, I've just been feeble. I've, I've been forgetful. Or maybe you're here today and you've been faking it. You've been a false servant. You've pretended to be a Christian and you're tired of what that gets you because it will get you nowhere except where you don't want to go. If that's you, then say, Jesus, I, I want a fresh start. If you're struggling, say, Jesus, I need power to live today for you. Let's pray together. Father, we, we come as your church. Lord, as your people. And I want to pray first if there's any here, Lord, that don't know you. They faked it. Well, maybe they've been coming to church for a long time but they've never committed their way. And the reason that they know that is there's been no change. They're still walking in the same old sins, doing the same old things. There's no evidence of that redemption working out in their living. And so I pray for those that need to invite you right now to come into their life to be Savior and Lord and to forgive their sin inscribe their name in the Lamb's book of life and for you to implant the Holy Spirit Lord I pray that those who need you today would cry out to you to receive you and Father I pray for those that are weak feeble they've been struggling God would you strengthen their, their feeble arms would you lift up their head to see that our Redeemer draws nigh Lord you are coming again and for those that maybe have forgotten some of the things that they once knew and once acted on, maybe they've just simply taken a time of not focusing on you and on heaven. Would you draw them back to a powerful, resilient relationship? Father, help us to all be super faithful in these last days. Faithful to you, Jesus. Faithful to your word faithful to our calling faithful to our church just help us to be faithful Lord we're asking you to entrust us with much so that we might accomplish much before you come we recognize you are coming again and we want to live our lives with that expectancy so bless us Lord pray that you'd save the lost strengthen the weak and encourage the strong in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.